and welcome to Godcast, where we cast the light of God into a dark world. I'm Amy Myers, and I share words and insights of God that he shows to me as a way to bring light into your life and any darkness you might be experiencing. Today, we're talking about waiting. Many of us experience this in different times of our life, but I think that there's always a little bit that everybody experiences at almost every moment in their life. We're always waiting for something, um, maybe good, or maybe waiting for bad to end, or maybe waiting on something that we're hoping will happen. Anyway, I was just talking with God about this recently, and I just wanted to share some of the insights that he was giving to me, because in my life, I'm currently in the process of waiting for a few things, um, just those prayers that you pray for people, and you're just hoping that you see a little progress or a little help in what's going on. Maybe something is stagnant for you, or maybe something is moving in away from what you thought was going to happen, or maybe something has just been constantly upon your life that just isn't going well. So you're wondering, God, how long? Or you're just waiting for something. So that's where I was uh, recently when I was sitting with the Lord and just praying and being honest about these types of things. And I heard God whisper to me, um, Isaiah 28. And the way that this happens for me is that sometimes I will hear the Lord say something and I go to the passage and just see what he wants me to understand. Sometimes I'll read the whole passage or the whole chapter and wait to see if he says anything. And at times he may stop me at the first verse, which he's done before. And then other times he might have me read it over multiple times until he finally says, says well, it's a nudge or a sense like stop here, really point in on this and I'll show you what I'm trying to show you. So this is what happened with Isaiah 28. I had to read through it a couple of times. Then God just really showed me the end of Isaiah 28. Now, Isaiah is in the Old Testament. For those of you who don't aren't familiar with how the, the books of the Bible are set up, Isaiah was a prophet of God, which just simply meant that he was a person at the time of the Old Testament before the Holy Spirit was really present among people, many people upon the earth. He would hear from God and God would tell him different things. And so he wrote many, many uh, words from God. And in that, in Isaiah 28, he was just basically talking about judgment um, against a couple of areas of Israel. One was Jerusalem. So as I was reading it, I was trying to understand what the Lord was saying, but it was the end that really struck me. So Isaiah is hearing that there's going to be just different things happening to these different nations and even the people of God. And But at the end of Isaiah 28, God says, listen, listen, give ear to me, hear my voice, give attention to what I'm saying. So he's causing Isaiah to record this, which means we can listen to. And Isaiah goes into describing basically agricultural or farming. And he says, does he plow for sowing plow continually? Does he continually open and harrow the ground? Does he level the surface and not scatter the seed of dill and cumin? Or does he not put the wheat in the rows or the barley in its place? He, so God is saying that he's instructed the farmer on how to do this, but he's also saying you don't plow forever. You don't level the surface forever. You don't dig forever. At some point, you change, you begin to scatter the seed. And God goes on to describe more about this process. And then after they've gathered all of the harvest, again, there's the threshing floor and they're 
beating at the wheat or beating at the the agricultural product, the grain, so that they can disperse it and make it for something else. And God says again, no, he does not thresh forever. But yet it ends. So God is making this point and two times God indicates that he's involved in this process. In Isaiah 26, it says, for he is rightly instructed, God teaches him. And then again in 29, this also comes from the Lord of hosts, for he is wonderful in counsel and excellent in wisdom. So what we can learn from this, what God was showing to me, is that God's saying, these hard things don't last forever, such as plowing. Plowing takes a lot of strenuous effort. Digging in the ground and planting rows and rows for harvest in fields. This is way before any massive machinery that we see today. It's difficult. But then you wait until it grows. And then after it grows, you harvest it. And God has indicated that he has instructed that this is how it works. And then again, there's another time where you're working hard, where you're making something out of this harvest. Again, this does not last forever. You're not working hard forever. So there's a cycle. There's a flow. There's God compares something in the natural world with this seasons of struggle. He's saying, look, this is how you can understand it. And this is actually how Jesus sort of talked to. He would speak in parables so that people could understand God's perspective from what humans experience. This is one of those things. And God's saying, struggles do not last forever. There's a cycle to it and it will end. Just as we've discovered cycles and seasons in nature, we can look around and we look for the change of the seasons. We've discovered that it's a cycle, it's a pattern. We've even discovered cycles of how the, um, the water cycle works or just watching plants grow. There's a specific cycle and pattern that we've discovered. And this happens in human life too. And God is just saying, see this simple beauty found in nature. Even the creatures of the earth, they have cycles too. We can look to that and we can see a deeper understanding that God works in cycles, in seasons, in times, and it doesn't always stay the same. Now, for some of you, you might want everything to stay the same always, but that's not how life works. And that's okay, because it will change. Those things will change. Those are the, some of the things that we, we need to think about, is that things will change, but God has a wonderful way of why he's doing this. And we can look at these natural cycles and understand that we can take comfort in knowing that there are times of change, but we don't stay in the hardest parts forever. Even at the end here, you know, God says, I have got this. I give you wonderful counsel. I give you excellent wisdom, which is what he says in 29. So I want to tie this in to dig into this a little bit deeper. So what does that mean for us? It's simple to say, okay, times and seasons pass, and we've heard many people say that. But let's see more about what is this character of God in this. So in the waiting, what do we do? Well, there's a walking with God first, because it's about God and us pursuing Him. We can find rest and insights there. So just as Personally, I'm in a season of waiting for many things. I feel that the Lord has shown me. Um, I suspect you're in a season of waiting too. Everybody's always in a season of waiting of some kind. 
but we can see how we relate to God in this waiting time. We can pursue him, we can find rest in him, but we can also be honest with him there. See, in my experience of studying the words of God in the Bible, God often records many people of God just facing struggles. But I love that he also records that he has those people talk to him about it. He records it and reveals that he wants us to come with him. He wants to be in connection with us, in relationship with us. And some of these people, especially a lot of these Old Testament prophets, they came with hard questions, difficult things, and they were seeing horrible things in their time happen to them. And they would stand up and say, God, what is happening? But God's big enough to handle our questions. In fact, he wants us to come and ask our questions to him. As I mentioned, some of the prophets in the Old Testament, they would question, but they would also declare God's goodness in the same space of asking. So this gives us an insight about how we can connect to God in our hard places or our wondering or our waitings. They just ask, why is there hardship or why is destruction happening? For instance, King David, we've talked about King David before, and he wrote many of the Psalms in in the Bible. And he will often be at a place he's like, why God? Or how long? And he describes these horrible circumstances, like being pursued by evildoers and people trying to come and kill him. And what does he do? He describes it, but then he says, God, please rescue me. Please act on my behalf. Because David reveals, one, he can ask God hard things. Two, he can be honest with God. But three, he knows that God is the one who rescues. God is the one who acts. And he understands this. He understands the power of God to save us physically, situationally, and spiritually. And what often happens, especially in Psalms with David, he ends with praise and rejoicing of who God is because he's anticipating God's active response. For instance, let me look at um, Psalm 10. Um, this gives us an indication of some of the, a little bit of what he's talking about. He starts out by saying in Psalm 10, 1, he's like, why, O oh Lord, do you stand far away? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? And then he points in verse 2 to see all the things that are happening. He says, in the arrogance of the wicked hotly pursue the poor. And he says, God, let them be caught in their schemes that they have devised for the wicked boasts and they desire the soul and they are greedy to gain for curses and they have pride in their face and they're wicked. So he's saying to them, there's no God. So this is David saying, look at the treachery around me. But what he does say, he says, oh God, arise, lift your hand, protect the, the afflicted. And then he says, the Lord is king forever. And he says, the Lord will strengthen the heart of those injured. And he says, you, God, will turn your ear or incline your ear, and you will do justice to the fatherless and the oppressed, so that the man who is of the earth may strike terror no more. So he's saying those who are causing harm can no longer cause harm. And again, he even talks about the poor and those who are needy, because God cares greatly about those, not just physically and financially poor and needy, because he cares about those, but he also cares about those who are poor in spirit and those who are needy and spiritually deprived and need God. And God says that he will come to them. And in, verse, in Psalm 12, verse 5, God says, I will now arise because of what has happened to the poor. 
and he'll place them in safety for which the poor long. And again in Psalm 13, we see how David says, How long, O Lord? And he asks four times in two verses, and then later rejoices. So these are situations that moments when we don't see the rescue, or we don't see the answer to the promise, we can see that God will arise because he cares about our despair. He cares about what's happening to us, but we can also call out to him and be honest with him. But maybe you're not in a place of hardship, or maybe you're just in a place where some things are happening and you don't even understand. God also calls us to ask him what's happening, because this is another kind of waiting, because something might be happening and we don't understand, and we're waiting for what's going on and what's God's purpose in this moment. Maybe situations are just changing and you don't get it, what doesn't make sense to you. Those are things that God sometimes puts us in, but that's not new because he's even done that to other prophets. For instance, Jeremiah in the Old Testament, um, an interesting passage in verse 32, he's, um, Isaiah is told by God to buy a property, and he's told it to, to buy a property in a very specific way, and he's told to buy the property, do this, this, and this. He gives them all these specific instructions about doing it. And then all of the things play out exactly as God said that they would. But here's what happens. As soon as Jeremiah obeys the Lord, does what God asks him to do, he buys the land from this person who comes and asks in a specific way, and he has to sign the deed and make a copy and have it with um, a group of people. So all of these details, Jeremiah does all of these things that God asks of him. And then he comes to him because he's confused. Basically, why did you have me do all of these things? And he goes on later to say, why have you asked me to buy this field and get witnesses and go through all of this? And our city is about to be taken over by the Chaldeans, which can also be the Babylonians, it's referenced later, but if the city is about to be taken over. There's a siege coming. And Jeremiah is like, why am I buying a land when we're just going to be kicked out and taken over? But you see that Jeremiah is inquiring of the Lord. He's asking God, and he says, Lord God, it is you who have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and by your outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. So Jeremiah even declares, nothing's too hard for you, including doing something with what you just asked me, but why did you have me do this? And the Lord comes back and responds. See, God answers us when we come to him. When we ask him questions, he will respond. And he gives us glimmers of these patterns throughout different parts of the Bible. And this is how we get to understand that it's okay to ask questions. My experience with reading through the scriptures, the more I read the Bible, the more I understood that God welcomes these questions. Sometimes we're asked to just not question God. And it's not testing God. It's simply saying, God, I am in this circumstance and I don't know what's going on. And quite honestly, we're not supposed to always go to people for the answers. God simply wants us to go to him so he can reveal it to us. Again, in Jeremiah 32, this is what the Lord says. He says, behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is nothing too hard for me? See, God's declaring nothing is too hard for him. We just have to come to him. And then what God begins to tell Jeremiah about this certain circumstance 
is that he's going to, he recognizes that they're about to go into the hands of other people, but he also reveals, this is what I'm going to do after. After that, after all of this happens, all of what you see coming is going to come, but afterwards I'm going to do these magnificent, wonderful things, and God is so excited to do it. He's saying, in verse 40, I will make an everlasting covenant that I will not turn away from doing good to them. And he also says that he, God will rejoice in doing good to them and he will plant them in a land in faithfulness with all of his heart and all of his soul. And he says, I will bring them all the good that I promised them. So God has made a promise to the people of Israel and he's declaring, I'm going to keep my promise to you. Hang in there. I'm putting this down payment that I asked you to do, buy the land now so that when you come back to it, it will be yours and all of the things that I promise I will do. So in this moment, Jeremiah is sort of wondering, why did I spend all of this money to buy this land and it's just going to be taken over? But he asks God and God responds. I want to give you another example of God responding. And this is in the book of Habakkuk or Habakkuk, I've heard it different ways, um, but this is another prophet of God, and he's talking to God, and he's witnessing extreme violence. He's just seeing destruction all around, and he is saying, Lord, how long? Don't you see this violence? And the, this Habakkuk is just three chapters long, but it's this conversation back and forth where Habakkuk is saying, look, God, and then God comes in and responds. Interestingly, not exactly the way we might expect God to respond, but we can learn something again. We can go to God and with hard questions and hard words and say, God, look at everything around me and I don't understand what's happening. So for Habakkuk, he's saying all of these things and the Lord answers. He says, look among all of this and wonder and be astounded in Habakkuk 5, for I am doing work in your days that you would not believe if I told you. And then, so the Lord is doing something that Habakkuk cannot see. But then God acknowledges, yes, these evildoers are doing all of these bad things. So he goes through and describes all of the things that the evildoers are doing. Now, mind you, at this point, God isn't even saying, this is your answer yet. He's just responding to Habakkuk's inquiry like god what is happening and god says i'm doing something and yes i see that there's hardship all around you and habakkuk comes back and he says well wait a minute you're saying you see all of this but at the same time habakkuk says in verse 12 are you not from everlasting O lord my god my holy one we shall not die O lord you have ordained them as a judgment for you're the rock and you've established them to reprove us. So at this point, Israel had sinned so much that God was sending it to turn them around. But Habakkuk is also describing you, O oh God, have pure eyes, and evil doesn't come from you. And how can you look on this evil? And he's describing this to God. So he's challenging him almost, saying, God, you are pure, you are holy. Why are you letting this happen? And at the end of this complaint, Habakkuk says, all right, I'm going to stand here at my post and I'm going to station myself and I'm going to look out and see for your answer. 
and God comes back and answers him again. Do you see this back and forth? See, God wants us to come to him and ask us ask the tough questions. So here he, God responds, write the vision down, make it plain. For if it seems slow, wait for it. See, there's an appointed time and God says, it will surely come, it will not delay. So I read these words to you because God says, I know it's terrible right now, but write down what I'm telling you now because at some point you're going to see that there's no delay. And then God goes on to just recap again. I see what's happening, but now God escalates it and says, woe to him. And God lists all these bad things that all of these people are doing. He's saying, woe to him who heaps up what is not his own or steals. Woe to him who does evil against, who does evil for gain. And woe to him who builds a town with blood and founds a city on iniquity. So that's, that's killing and lies and sin. Again, so he goes through all of these woes. But in the end, he says that he is in the holy temple. And he even mocks those who think that they can worship these idols, they can carve these images, and still make those images do what only God can do. At the end, Habakkuk rejoices. He says, okay, I will wait for you, and I'll rejoice as I wait. And he remembers that he can rejoice in the Lord, and he can take joy that only God is his salvation. He says, God, the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer, and he makes me tread onto my high places. So he's saying that God will give me the strength even as I wait. So I mention all of these things to you because sometimes it's hard, and sometimes waiting is hard. But I want you to see it's not a foreign concept. There are many people of this world who have had hard things, but they've come to God, and he, they've come to him, and they've asked him and inquired of him. So we know, both at looking back at Isaiah, remember Isaiah was asking him these things, and he's inquiring again about this, and God says, it's only for a time. For I will guide you out of it. It's only for a time. And then with the other ones who were seeing even more distress, God was saying, wait, I've got a plan and I'm working. You don't see me, but I'm working. So again, it's okay. And David was also talking about how things change, but we can rejoice and be glad in knowing that only God has the power to make the change. See, our now doesn't have to stay the same. And it won't always stay the same. It will change. Some aspects are harder, and some are times when we rest. But there will always be change. So there will always be either a difficulty or just this discomfort. But even back in Isaiah 28, it shows us that God will offer us counsel and wisdom. God promises the same thing in the New Testament. In the book of James, and I think I've mentioned this before, that God says, for any of you who lacks wisdom, ask God and he will grant it generously. See, this is the character of God. He wants us to come to him. To him. He wants us to pursue him and he wants to give us the truth about what he's doing. See, for Jeremiah, it didn't make sense because he asked God why. It didn't make sense, but God told him why. It opened up a new conversation. He discovered something that good was going to happen. Even though right now he couldn't see it, he could know, okay, God is going to do good. 
Even in the New Testament, we see with Jesus. Jesus gave up his body on the cross to die for all of our sins. At that moment, it didn't seem like good. It didn't seem like it was good for all of those people and all of those followers who were walking with him and lived with him and saw all of the miracles, so many miracles, that even um, the Apostle John recorded them and he said that there were so many miracles that even if they could contain them in all of the books that could be written, the whole world couldn't even hold them. So even those people that walked with Jesus forgot what was ahead because Jesus had told them that he would rise from the dead. And he did, but they couldn't see it in that moment. It wasn't until he did rise from the dead a few days later that they began to remember. And he began to explain to them, this is how it's all connected when he was resurrected and he walked with the disciples and he explained to them, these are all of the things written long ago and how it had to relate to him now. And then he did something more. He told them he was going to have them wait again. He said, okay, I have to leave you now and I have to go back up to heaven, but I need you to go to Jerusalem and wait, wait again for me. So they have to go and wait again. And he says, don't worry. The Holy Spirit is going to come and be pressed out on all flesh. And the Holy Spirit would guide you into all truth. So this group had to wait again. And in that moment, they had to wait for the Holy Spirit. All of us who believe in Jesus, and that he is the Son of God, and he died for our sins, we get the Holy Spirit right away. But for this group, the Holy Spirit hadn't come upon the earth yet. So they had to go and wait. They had to wait for in Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit came upon them. We see in the book of Acts how that all unfolds with this miraculous power and is quite extraordinary. But what I'm wanting to share today is there is an aspect of God that requires us to wait. It doesn't change who God is or the truth of who he is or his promises that he made. It's just a truth that we can ask God why. How long? God, what is happening? We can ask God, help me to understand what you're doing. We can welcome the wait because we can welcome experiencing God in the wait. We can ask God in the moment, we can say, God, please rescue me and defeat those who want to harm me or to come at me. For God, I am yours and I belong to you. Please protect me. Or we can say, God, help me see this situation as you see it. Give me peace with what you're doing. Even in Romans 12, God shows us that we can have a new perspective. And much of the New Testament letters describe that we can be on alert towards God because we know that with God's goodness and God's perspective, he can bring us peace. Even when situations haven't ended or we're in the discomfort of these changes or we're wanting or we're waiting for a promise that he's whispered to us, we can remember Isaiah that we talked about today that God shows us it's not always going to be trouble. It's not always going to be hard. It's not always going to be uncomfortable. It's for a time. But even in the waiting, such as the crops planted described in Isaiah, we have a time of waiting for the harvest or the blossoms to come. But as we wait, and dear fellow travelers, I know that there are moments in your life when you have had to wait and probably waiting now in some way. We can ask God, we can inquire of him so we can understand him better.
We can understand our situation more clearly. And we can honestly connect with God about how we feel and what is happening in our situation. We can ask God to shape our hearts with peace. We can ask him to transform our mind to see things through his lens of goodness and wisdom. And we can ask him to help us trust that he is going to finish the work that he is doing. And we ask him to do all of these things so that his goodness and his love can be experienced by us and so that others can know that he is our mighty God and that there is no one like God. So today I ask, I pray and ask the Lord to bless you. I pray and ask the Lord to um, answer your questions. I pray that God would encourage you to come close to him and that you would inquire of him and ask him all about what's going on in your life right now and say, God, I heard all of these words in your Bible and I know they're true because you said them. I also know they're true that you are a rescuer and you want me to come to you and that you do answer and you guide into all wisdom because those are the things you've said and that's your character. God, I ask that you would let each of us come close to you and even more so that we would hear you we would know your wisdom, know your love, and know your peace. Many blessings to each of you this day, and I pray that you would be blessed with this light of God into your life and that it would grow brighter and brighter with each day. Thank you.